0: Today is September 23rd, Season 3, Episode 32, Decky Google Hangouts. How are we? Ooh, Andy, bonus points. We're
1: feeling great today, brother. We got a hell of a podcast. A very interesting podcast. Um, The name of this guest is Brandon Ferdig. He is a documentarian and just recently came out with a film called The Wall. And this details, for those living in Minneapolis, The Wall is the homeless camp along Hiawatha in Minneapolis. He spent how many weeks filming
0: this? From August 2018 until December of 2018, The Wall was up in existence, and then he spent the spring doing follow-up interviews a couple months after.
1: Yeah, either way, the story is absolutely incredible, not only about uh, the people within The Wall, but his experience filming them all on his phone and doing it in filming a documentary for his first time ever the man has stories and we're here to share them with you all enjoy perfect well done
0: Today on the Back Pocket Podcast, let's welcome Brandon Ferdig. How are you doing today?
2: Oh, man, I'm thrilled to be here. This is
1: legit. Yeah, you came in and you were complimenting us right from the start, man. So thanks for the compliments. I really appreciate it, dude.
2: I love, uh, I love conversation. I remember putting that on my dating profile years ago, and it didn't get me very far. <laughs> but I'll say it here again. I love conversation. I love talking about ideas and... Uh, concepts maybe that's the part the ideas and concepts part that bore people i don't know like but mm. bore women from mm-hmm. swiping right on me or whatever but
0: you, you got a couple of ideas guys right here we okay. love ideas as well all right great
2: mm-hmm.
1: so i want to ask your okay so what was like the craziest idea that you pursued in my work in your work yeah with the periphery we haven't even gotten there yet but brandon with periphery that's your that's your whole gig your media company and mm-hmm. everything
2: um, but, yeah, I would love to hear, like, the craziest idea that you've pursued. Well, I mean, the first thing that pops into my head is male modeling. Whoa. Yeah. In fact, my, yeah, my, I think my first exposure on camera is my wrist. I was going to say, I feel like you're a hand model. I was a wrist model, dude. I was doing the watches <laughs> on Shop NBC. You got signed up for that, too? You got passed and everything? Well, it so I was, I was in a modeling agency in town and they're like, Oh yeah, we need people to be on shop. Do you do you guys know that shop NBC is in town? It's mm. in Eden Prairie. No, I have a, no idea. They might've renamed it something. Okay. Um, in fact, I, I'm pretty sure they did right around the time I did this. And this was, this was the tw- 2009. Cause this, I remember I was working when Brett Favre was torching the Cowboys in the, in the playoffs, uh, in 09 for the Vikings. Right. Yep. And, uh, because I was working when that game was going on. Uh, But back then, yeah, they would sign me up for shifts for about $18 an hour, and I would go down there, and they'd have me wear a suit, and I could... So they'd have the host trying to sell you stuff on the shopping network, so it's all high energy, and they're giving all these exaggerated claims about how indestructible these watches are, and, you know, the one guy would, like, rub it against the table and say, see, no scratches, you know? Uh, And then, every once in a while... They'd be like whispering at me in my ear or something, or maybe the runner would just tell me, hey, take your place. They're going to go to you. And then I'd have to hit my mark and get my wrist out there nice and flex the forearms a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the watches were always big and floppy, and I have like thin wrists, so I'd like put two fingers behind the little secret of the pros. Oh, and another secret is that you wear the watch upside down. Because otherwise, the twelve would be down here. Yep. Right. You're holding it that way. Yeah. Right. But for the camera, you want the twelve to be up here. So hmm. you wear the watch upside down, and then you just kind of rotate, and then, and then you do a slight little rotate. Get yep. it to shimmer and glimmer. So one shot is like a three quarter shot from down, like my knees or thighs up to over my head, and for that shot, you know, you just got to look like that's right. This is my watch, and you'll look like me too if you wear it. And then the other shot is, like, the zoom in on the wrist. Sure. You know, so I did that. Damn. Yeah. So <laughs> that <laughs> <things look like. laughs> but I actually went out to L.A. for some... Uh, for wrist modeling. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would have already had more luck. I went out there uh, trying to... It was, like, this cattle call, like, big modeling convention uh, where me and every other person across the country who thinks they got a shot in the dark can go out there and get signed. You know, it's, like, some stars in your eyes kind of thing where they you know 99 out of, out of 100 people aren't going to get anywhere but the few successes that do get through uh you the ones that they showcase and say hey look this could be you next year or this could be you uh and and i went out there and you know the 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 the, the reason why that was a crazy idea wasn't because like one can't do it. it it's just because of where i was at the time and in my early 20s i was i was just not in a great place with my life so it was uh, addiction and alcoholism and all that, cr- like, dark time. And so it made that uh, pursuit just uh, a mess. Exhausting. Honestly. Yeah. yeah. It, it was just un- unsustainable, unfeasible. For me at that time, I was just not, wow. not in a great place.
0: You got to have some major preparation just to go out into L.A. Yeah. We, I mean, that, that city will eat you up and spit you out Im- immediately. So we've heard. That's why we're trying to lay the foundation with uh, the back pocket to eventually get there because we've heard uh, other people are there that are doing some cool things.
2: I've heard that about YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. Like that's so. I got a YouTube channel, The Periphery, and it's it's a bit of a YouTube desert in the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some. I, I'm I'm part of a couple of different YouTube meetup groups, but the one rarely meets anymore, and the other one I've never met with at all. So it's but but I know a few people I know a gal she does a makeup tutorial channel and another gal she'll do hair and so you sort of have another guy does uh, reviews of outdoor gear so mm-hmm. it's kind of the 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 review industry uh, industry here yeah a uh, single shot YouTube camera channel. yeah yeah um but not a lot whereas I I had a friend uh, who said, hey, my buddy from LA is going to be up in the Twin Cities. You should meet him, talk about YouTube. And I did. And he's like, oh yeah, my friends do this. My friends. So like there's a whole, it sounds to me like at least there's a whole uh, community of 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 uh, like a real big community of like YouTubers. And then mm-hmm. they just feed off that energy off each other and probably collaborate and things like that. And then it just kind of helps the whole community rise up. Oh yeah. Um, whereas here, you know, I just, yeah. I mean, there's advantages too to being in a smaller market. Uh there's not a lot of people going around interviewing people. I was able to go into the tent city and film a documentary and it wasn't like there was 20 other people there with cameras trying to do the same thing. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. I mean, let's freaking... I, I want to... Before we jump right into the wall, mm-hmm. I want to touch on what exactly is the periphery? How would you come up with it? Yeah. Um, kind of, I would love to hear the story behind it.
2: Sure. Well, I try to come up with... I, I always knew I was good at coming up with like... Because you see a take... Uh, you see a story in the news and you might have a take on it you might have an interpretation of really what's happening there like hmm. um and i always thought i had one that was a little bit different uh, especially these days where everything is just so far to the right or so far to the left and you only get very far if you com- it, it seems like if you bash the other side if you finger point there's not a whole lot of constructive centrist or or or, or at least you don't have to have a centrist position but it, it i find relief and insight in understanding where both both, you know, parties it, it, left, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where they're both coming from. There's truth to both. That's why they both exist. Um, and then I would try to go beyond that. Okay, given there's truth to, he, you know, to the conservatives. Given that there's truth coming from the liberals. What now, right? So I always try to take it that extra step further. And so I try to come up with a with a name. Um, and it wasn't just takes on social issues. It was also it would also be stories. I would I would do like like interviews with people that were the not seen like homeless or um let's hear this ice fishing story from my grandfather right there's stories that are a bit from the side people who might be a bit marginalized um uh, the everyday stuff that we might ordinarily miss and then uh perspectives on on an issue or what's happening in the world that people might not see or think of themselves and so my one buddy said, "You're like the seventh side of the dice. You're like the, you know, you're like the little extra." And and I thought of all these different. Man, I I I racked my brain about coming up with the perfect name over and over and over again, and um, I, I remember one idea I had was deeper inquiry, and it's like okay, but that's that's hard to say, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's just not gonna be very catchy. I don't remember how I came up with this but I remember I was at my restaurant's uh, waiting tables and I thought of the periphery mm. and I don't know how I don't know what made that idea just that light bulb go off I have no idea mm-hmm. it just it did and I thought okay and I looked it up and it was not taken the periphery.com and as interesting as the story of how I bought the periphery.com and I and then I and then I ventured into the world of online real estate, if that's the term. Oh yeah, because um, you yeah. can
0: make a lot of the backpocket. Uh, com was what thirty three hundred bucks. Thirty three hundred bucks. Yeah. We, we didn't, had to pivot. We, we didn't buy
1: that. First thing we had to do with the backpocket
2: pivot. Mm, mm. Pivot. Like yeah. just like we your wanted
1: backpocket.com. dot com. Ah, oh, now we got to go to yourbackpockets.com dot com if we want something free. Mm. Then we pivot again to just thebackpocketpodcast.com. dot com.
2: I added the. The periphery. Well, the periphery well periphery was a periphery's a band I, I hadn't heard of okay and uh when i first contacted the the broker the real estate agency company whatever you want to call them the domain yeah squatter i don't know however you want to term them they are squatters i i i respect the business i mean it's not free to host all these domains and they have to buy them year after year and sell. and they have a huge volume because think of how many you can come up with and then they just go off and buy those Although, but then they turn around and, you know, times 500 it. You know, they charge yeah. way more than they pay, of course, but that's how they... I, I mean, I assume Aside. there's, I assume there's <laughs> some sort of business model that makes it um, within the realm of reason. It just seems weird because they get it for 15 bucks and then they sell it for four figures. I I, I called them up and the guy, I think he was a salesperson, he said, okay, are you... Are you the band periphery? Out of Boston? I think they're out of Boston. I go, no, 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 that's not me. Because if he if you because if I was, I think he was gonna be like, oh yeah, you're a big rock band. I'm gonna charge you a lot more. But he said, Okay, I'll tell you what. It's eleven hundred dollars. So how about you give me like a thousand? And then I'm gonna send you a link to these uh I forgot the brand of shoe. Here are these shoes that I really want Mm, why so so just buy me buy these shoes and send them to me and i'll charge you only a thousand for the for the domain and i was like um that sounds shady dude i'm sorry i i I just can't do that i just i just can't do it no deal and then he came back and said um all right all right just have it for a thousand so i bought it for a thousand i put it on a credit card i remember i was substitute teaching at the time and I was on my school lunch break when I bought that domain. No way. Um, com. yeah. What year was that? I suppose it was like 2012, 2013. I don't wow. know. Just a shot in the dark.
0: You know, I've always wondered what substitute teachers are doing on their free time.
2: No, it was actually like 2015, I think, because I was back from... All right, I don't remember. You know, it's weird how the years get blended together. But yeah, uh, yeah that's that is what they do on their free time. <laughs> they do whatever they want. They start businesses when when they have uh, prep hour, which is when uh, uh, an, or, an ordinary teacher would spend it, like preparing for class. I'm yeah. I'm on the internet probably. I mean, let's just face it, right? <laughs> uh, that's probably what most subs do. That's awesome, man. So, um, four
1: years ago, you built this thing.
2: My guess is that he was a salesperson and thought he could get a commission and a sweet pair of shoes. Yeah. That's my guess.
0: That's, but hey. I was thinking he had some, like, the website was going to steal your information. Like, you plugged in your mm. your a, your email address and something else, and they're just going to get into your computer and take everything. Boy, the
2: way it made it sound, although he did provide the link, so maybe maybe it was like a phishing thing. Phishing thing, But yeah. it seemed like, here's the link to Amazon of the shoes I want. So just give me these shoes, send them to me, and then show me the receipt that it's coming to me, and then I'll just give you the domain for a reduced rate.
0: Dude, this guy was, maybe he's just having too much fun.
2: It was weird. It like was very weird. I, I just I just thought, you know, this is the wild west. Someone might just get a wild idea like that and say, ah, okay, if I can get a free pair of shoes out of the deal. Maybe he just loves shoes. I have no idea. I just remember thinking about, you know, what a strange industry where your product does not, uh, uh, relate uh, to what you're selling well well, the product doesn't um, it's not tangible it doesn't uh, expire right? Uh, domains yeah like yeah. if you sell food you know you got to hurry up and get rid of it or it's going to go bad or if you even have real estate you got to keep paying uh, taxes on that so there's expense to just having it so there's incentive to flip and to get rid of but with domains the, the, the incentive isn't very high the incentive is almost holding on to it hoping
1: that your domain and the SEO behind it the optimization on search engines mm-hmm. Increases naturally, yeah. Just like a Kawhi Leonard rookie card
2: would skyrocket after he wins the NBA Finals, yeah. Or if he was a high school ball player and he, you just bought Leonard dot com, and right. then he made it big, and then it's like that's like that's like picking a good stock, you know? Exactly. Um, Stuff like that. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. So it's a whole different. I thought that was a fun little world to jump into. And, Very and, mm-hmm. okay. I think it would have been like twenty fifth, f- twenty twelve. Thirteen. We'll just about saying that. That's
1: crazy. So you've had it for around five, six years. You're saying in the ballpark. Yes, and that's
2: when you started the YouTube page as well. Um, Yeah, it was more travel than anything at first. Okay. So I was. I I, so I brought my book in uh, called Life Learned Abroad: Lessons on Humanity from China, and it's a big book. It's an impressive size. That's because there's a lot of photos in there. It's meant to be, you know, let let the stories do a lot of the telling and let the photos do a lot of the storytelling and and then i'll just provide the text to fill in the rest and also the concepts that living in a foreign land can uh, bring to the surface so ideas like how they treat animals versus how most people where i live where i'm from treat animals and then you can kind of triangulate an issue like if you have two cultures like with education or how they do relationships, or protests. You watch a protest in the U.S., you watch a protest in China, which I, I've done, and then you get a better idea of the idea of protest just in general. Because now you have two points of reference. Two data points, two yeah, perspectives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the whole triangle thing probably doesn't really work. But you get what I'm saying. Like You yeah. kind of have two perspectives from which to draw on and better understand this idea. So that's why the book is called what it is, Life, Learned Abroad, Lessons on Humanity from China. Because there are these lessons on humanity, like what does it mean to be free? Yes, in China they have a they have a bubble over the people that restricts speech and religion and the things that we consider big important things. Mm. But it's a lot easier there just to park your car someplace and not worry about it. If you're not wearing your seatbelt, it's not as big a deal. All right. No one's gonna stop you if you look seventeen and you're smoking. No one's gonna stop you if you're sixteen and walk into a bar, you know, so like the little things are you're more free, I found Mm. in China whereas the big things you're less free and so you know to, to kind of reflect on that was really interesting and so the book has those essays featured throughout on these different big issues and then a lot of it is just photographs of where i am who i'm meeting who i'm interviewing yeah uh, i love yeah. to tap
1: into that just a tad like what was like a is it like a cool um story or moment that was very rewarding for you during your time there how long were you there
2: before by the way easily the most rewarding part was at the very end which makes for a great ending into the book I traveled for three weeks. At the end, they they were very kind to, to me at the school I was teaching English at. That's okay, the, that's the job that got me over there, and I was there eleven months, ten months of teaching from the regular school year, from like August to June, mm-hmm. and then in July I was able. They 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 said we'll give you another month of visa for your, you know, to explore or whatever. I was like, oh, thank you. And then I was able to travel throughout July, and I traveled around the interior of the country. And I just took my lonely planet and I looked up things I wanted to do and or 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 what I could do with and and I found this martial arts school in the the, the mountains of central China. Wudongshan. Uh shan is the word for mountain. And it's in central China. I don't remember the mountain range. But it's supposedly where uh Tai Chi originated. And Tai Chi is that slow rhythmic Right. Like you're an airbender from you see Avatar. It, you see it and people think, oh, that's pretty boring or whatever. Yeah, I, I guess it is if you're looking for something a bit more uh, fast-paced. Kung-fu. Kung you know, kung-fu. And they, they they did some kung-fu there too, but it was more Tai Chi. And I went there. Uh, I contacted some schools in the area when I got to the town. And the next day, a trainer came to my hostel door. Um, no one most big places you go you're going to have other foreigners traveling around with you but in this city there were none i was the only white guy that i that you knew i wasn't the only white guy i would see my whole time there but i was but it was only one other dude in another school that i got to meet with later on like i was i was the only one at my school too and this trainer picked me up and he was wearing the the well you, you see me on the cover wearing the yeah yeah, yeah. The, the white. The Giza? Like, he was wearing, I don't even know the name of it. I think that's
1: something that, that it might be called.
2: He was in black, and uh, he picks me up. He, he takes me to the place to get that. I didn't know why I was even supposed to, so I buy an outfit. And then we head up the mountain, and a lot of tour Chinese tourists go up there because there's like old temples and stuff. Mm-hmm. But then there's these schools, and I would live at this school for nine days, uh, it, was, it was it was only going to be a weekend at first, but then I decided to stay an extra week, and they work out a deal with me where I can teach English to the other students, the Chinese uh, national, the the they're, they're Chinese, and they I can teach them English, and some are young like fifth grade, and some are high school age, uh, and then I get a reduced rate on staying there an extra week. So I was there a total of nine days, and it was just the whole like long story short, it was the whole clash or 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 complement uh, is probably a better way to put it, or depending on the the, the, the experience or the day, uh, clash or compliment of West and East. And it was just so typical how I was always trying to like get through something fast or like cut corners with my practice, you know, uh, and, and, and they would, uh, have to constantly remind me to, to do it right, to, to, to practice, you know, and it was repetitive and that just, that kind of drove me crazy. Yeah, because
0: uh, it's slow, monotonous movements over and over, repetitive.
2: Yep. Yeah, I I I did a pretty good job in the book of of articulating it and putting it into words. Of the first day I was there, my trainer says, "Okay," he he points, he shows me to my room. I put my stuff down on the bed. Okay, let's go start. And I remember my my initial thought was, "Whoa, whoa, whoa. can't we like, I don't know, wait till after lunch or something? <laughs> you know, let's kick it. Let's just, you know, I'm on vacation, you know." And he's like, no, 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 let's go. So we go out to the cement slab, the concrete slab where all of the, a lot of the practice took place. And he starts showing me this choreography, and I'm, uh, I'm trying it, and it involves a step, okay. And of course, it's like walking through water. It's so slow, and if you're not conscious of it regularly, uh, you're gonna do it wrong. Because you're going to be leaning on the wrong leg, or you're not going to the right angle, or you're you're not going to keep your toes in the air when you step, your heel-toe, you know. You're going to just do it sloppy. And that's exactly how I wanted to do it. I just wanted to... And we finally got done with that. We have lunch, and it's not like a very satisfying, uh, rich, tasty lunch. It's like plain, like some meat and some veggies, and okay, let's go back out. And... I'm like I gotta get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> this um, sounded fun to start, but no, I'm not liking this. Like yeah. that's exactly right. Like we all have these romantic ideas. Like you imagine like some flute player, you know, like yeah, snakes um, in a basket doing something. What's the name of that show? Uh Kung Fu The Legend Continues. David the actor. I would say I was,
1: this. I was uh I was debate or defaulting to Kung Fu Panda.
2: Oh boy! Yeah, no. There's a much richer comparison, okay? A much more Sorry. colorful one, <laughs> because the guy who played Kung Fu: The Legend Continues is the same guy who played Bill in Kill Bill. Oh, okay. And he died in a notable way.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh,
2: do you know this? No, about, no, no it's high If you're, uh, do you know this? Uh, Howie? Okay, I'll, I'll let I'll let um,
0: our listeners. They're, they're searching it right well, now.
2: Well, uh, if, if he, he does, does that, does he do that? Yeah. So his name is like David. I think it's David S. I, I can't remember, but just Bill from Kill Bill, how he died. And then, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's. I don't know how Kung Fu Panda died, but I promise. not dead. I promise you it wasn't this way. Kung Fu Panda's coming uh, out in uh, a couple years. Although I haven't discounted how Jack Black might go. Maybe he'll do the same things. As, I don't as know. As this story? Yeah, okay. We'll okay. see. We'll see. Um
0: but you were romanticizing this experience, and it wasn't that it was getting bland as you were saying, yeah,
2: it wasn't bland though, but I thought it was because i'm i want my i want whatever I want to eat when I want it i want to switch to the channels when I want it i want to watch uh uh you know go on my social media and check my feed when i want it i want i want I want you know we're just so used to f- uh satisfying and uh, uh constant stimulation. Uh, and that was the opposite it was a practice in presence uh, yep
0: and they're like to yeah and they're making it yeah. super difficult for you to practice the presence
2: no I just sucked at it I was just so bad at being present like they didn't like give me like okay and have this rock balanced on your head i mean it, they didn't really, they weren't like giving me a hard time I was just bad at, I just wasn't very good at it right I just wasn't yeah. very used to being in that mode of operating like did the very first experience. Okay, after doing that one initial choreography, we look over the edge of the cement slab, which turned out to be the roof of this compound where the other students were sleeping, and I look down, and they're, like, doing some shoveling. And I don't think they even needed to move the dirt. I just think they were doing it as a practice. Hmm. And I go down there, and this one student slash trainer, he was, like, a trainer in making, he handed me the shovel. I think he was, at this point, you know, at the beginning, like, okay, let's see what you got, American and i grabbed the shovel and i'm like okay whatever i'm shoveling and he stops me right away and he takes the shovel back from me and he's like mm mm and he shows me the proper way to you know have your both your knees bent have the shovel ready and he literally made those whoa, whoa sounds that you would pretend to use like a, as a kid and he made them at, you know ahead of he like it's like he vocalized the movement yeah and then out came the dirt and i knew right there i was like Okay, this is the fundamental difference between me and these people, and this is what I'm gonna have to learn to do, and that is that it isn't about getting it done quicker. But because I was thinking, like, why are we using shovels? Don't we uh, don't we have a wheelbarrow? Don't we have something here that can, you know, I'm thinking of quicker to move and, the dirt and, and, and faster. And Let's yeah. get this thing done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like, well, how about just doing it better? All right, and and that, of course, wasn't even a, a thought. I, I I did think, okay. So this Tai Chi stuff, we'll keep doing it in the afternoon. And then and then it'll be dinner time. That's good. Oh, but then we go back out for an evening one in sunset. Oh, but then I got to go to sleep. Okay, that's a nice break. And then I got to get up at five in the morning to jog. Oh, so when do I get to end this? And I'm like, well, the end of the weekend. And I was like, dude, hold on. You're basically planning your departure and you just got here. Like you need to, this is why you need to be here. And that, that helped kind of snap me back. Wow. And uh, and it was very, it, so like I, I, I bought a Malcolm Gladwell uh, book uh, off the street of Beijing. It was a, uh, a pirated one, you know. They just sell books for cheap in Asian countries, at least they used to. Vietnam, and you'll find like a Lonely Planet with typos in it, you know, like the, and I found some Malcolm Gladwell book and I, I remember reading through it like so fast. Because right. they didn't have the distractions I didn't have the I remember I would nap And I would read Like uh, Voraciously And I remember like This is awesome Like I'm present I'm uh, I can like digest This new information So much quicker Because I'm not distracted With all this other stuff uh, So the lessons of that practice Were immediate It was just the initial hump to get over was also uh, extraordinary, but yeah. thankfully I was able to do it and then stay and then maintain a practice there for nine days, which I know doesn't sound a lot like a lot of time, but one day felt like a long time. Right. And, th- and then a whole weekend. Then I'm going to stay another week. So um, the the nice uh, bow ribbon on this story is that at the end they were down the valley because this is again the, so by the way this is on a mountainside so you've got like these valley distant green blue views of, of 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 fog over the hill i mean it's just it's it is romantic yeah uh but they were down the valley collecting twigs and other wood for the for the wood stove and they were having a heck of a time doing it um one of the the female students was like trying to take a bundle of pine needles and she was like her, it hurt her hands, so I found, or I saw a couple of like, uh, like rake like tools. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Oh, hold on, hold on!" And I took those two rake like tools and I like scrunched the pine needles together. Like you're picking and, up salad. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's that's actually what I wrote in the book. I said, "Hey, I just eat differently. That's all. I don't use <laughs> chop. You know, I I did when I was there. Use chopsticks, but you know, I, I I I was able to consider. You know, like just take these two rakes and squish them together, and you can get a lot more pine needles." Uh, in one at once and she, I remember her saying oh so clever Feng Xiang which was my Chinese name and, uh, and then later these guys had this bundle of sticks tied up and to take up this narrow path up the hill and there was this like they had to break off the twigs sticking out or they'd hit and get caught on trees along the side of the path so there was this one stubborn thick short branch that they were trying to kick and they knew how to kick these guys you know these students and trainers but they weren't getting it to break. Do you understand what I'm getting at? What yeah, right yeah, I'm saying here? Yeah, yeah. This is this, 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 like this... It's a long
1: twig. They're trying to break
2: it. Yeah, they're trying breaking. to break break this out. Yeah. So I see a stone nearby, about the size of a, a skull maybe, and I take it and I just jam it underneath that stick. And then that allows me just to kind of go up and with my sloppy kick, I'm just totally able to break it. And then the like, hey, hey, high five, hey. And I was just so happy to contribute something for once at that place, you know, because I was just like kind of all thumbs. But you were wise at that point. Well, I was... But that's the way I think. I remember that was like the, the lesson from my time there. Like, who, I mean, it, it, I don't know if people might well think this is controversial to, to, to stereotype like this, but they perfected the punch. You know, they would punch, you know, it, 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 it's that same kind of practice where you just do it over and over and over and over again until you know how to do it just right. And it, it just seemed to me that like my ancestors would have been like, Let's just make an easier way to hurt somebody. Like, let's invent something. Let's not worry about punching perfectly. Let's just, like, make a gun. Or let's, right. let's make a better firearm or something, you know. Yeah. But to your
1: point, I think, I don't know if it's necessarily controversial. I just think it's two different ways of looking at mm-hmm. a problem. Mm-hmm. And both, both those perspectives work. Just like you practicing presence and how much that enabled you to dive into a Malcolm Gladwell book and, mm-hmm. and be present in your crazy world. They could absolutely use a little bit of your um, inventor, creative side of their brain to to get tasks done. So I, bravo, brother.
2: That was the lesson evident from there, and and it just and it just reinforced the idea that we have that the different cultures can. And it's not about which culture is better; it's about the fact that they both excel at different things. Each culture excels at different things, and then we can come together for a bigger whole. And and mm. and 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 we all can benefit. Right. Yes. I mean it was like you know after school special lesson there, uh, but it was just so it be, it just hit me right over the head. It was so obvious, and it, you know during my nine days there that, it, and it was the way the book ends up too. So it's sweet, man. A nice way to finish. That's my That's awesome. There.
1: Who? Uh, how did Bill die?
2: Sorry,
0: we'll, we'll yeah. So
2: circle back. Yeah, I mean talk about changing pace here
0: so his name is um dave uh caradine 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 yeah, yeah. okay anyway so i'm just gonna read the wikipedia so this is not from me uh he was in bangkok to shoot his latest film titled stretch a police a police official said that caradine was found naked hanging by a rope in the room's closet causing immediate speculation that his death was suicide however reported evidence suggested that his death was accidental the result of autoerotic asphyxiation
1: Whoa, She's choking himself. For
0: to get off. off. Yeah, yes. you know.
2: Whoa. <laughs> that's wild. Wow. That's why I say Kung Fu Panda. Just and that's like why that. you
0: didn't want to say it. You wanted the Wikipedia. Did well,
2: you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. but I don't want to talk about that nonsense. And yeah, yeah, no. Let's have Wikipedia do the dirty work. So you're exactly.
1: Right. But what Wikipedia is not going to do the dirty work on is your newest documentary, The Wall. And Andrew and I, you know, as uh, we, we, we've been saying this for uh, a long time in our back pocket short history, but we do our research and we pride ourselves on that. And we watched the wall documentary today. To be honest, I only got, I'm currently 30 minutes in. I will not mm-hmm. finish the thing, but Andrew confirmed. You finished it. I finished it. Yes. Awesome. And Ty got it sent to him. I don't know if you got, did you tune in at all?
0: Deck sent it to me like 30 minutes before I was supposed to come over here, and it's an hour and 15 minutes long. And
2: that's so like you, dude. I didn't get a chance. It's so. <laughs> it like is it. very you get much. Get he knows me. Yeah.
1: Um. But yeah, dude. Let's. I mean, let's freaking dive into that. Just and give a little bit of context to understand. Mm-hmm. You know
0: what the wall is. The history behind it. I'd love to just dive right in, man. Yeah. yeah. And I would like to start with you. Open up the documentary talking about how you went to the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. And you wanted to film this documentary on on people and get kind of like just. Hear their stories, and it ended up being a lot of interviewing homeless people. So then you came back to the Twin Cities, and the wall was just starting, mm-hmm. and your seized an opportunity. So that gives you a little context of why Brandon uh, chose to do a documentary on the wall.
2: Yeah, it didn't come out of nowhere. Um, well, first I'm from Northern Minnesota, so the the only other ethnicity up there are Native Americans, for the most part. That's changing now, but you know I'm 38, so when I was eight years old, it was. Uh, white people and the native americans and so i've always had this interest and my dad used to do a lot of work with them as an auto mechanic and uh the the interact interactivity between the 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 white and native cultures was was pretty strong and pretty pretty good up there for for my childhood um but then i would uh then in my adult years when i had this uh, youtube channel rocking i started traveling i started driving around the u.s and I tra- I traveled the U.S. South the summer of 2016, and then the tw- summer of 2017 I traveled the Pacific Northwest. And in both times I made just an enormous loop around the country, back down to the South, and back over to the Pacific Northwest, and back to Minnesota. And I just interviewed people along the way. Some were set up beforehand, and some were completely spontaneous. Uh, I just wanted to get the, an idea of what life was like where they lived, how they saw the world. Uh, like, do you think the world's getting better? Do you think it's going to hell? Do you think you're leaving it a better place for your kids? Um. And I, I, I did that in the South, and I got a lot of good responses on YouTube. That's the, those are my first real successful videos on YouTube. Uh, were 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 a couple of interviews with Southerners, and then I replicated that in the Pacific Northwest, and that's where I encountered a bunch of the homeless people, and I thought. Oh, and so, you know, this gets back to what I initially said about having like looking at a social issue and trying to have an, uh, a uh, dual perspective, a dual perspective. Exactly. Uh, because when you read about homelessness and the problems with it, you and if you just talk to people out on the street, you're going to get one of two responses. And that's reasonable because people only have a few seconds to give you a response. So it's going to be kind of a knee jerk response. And it's probably either going to be either one of pity or judgment or cynicism. Like it's either going to be yeah they're victims or they're lazy, all right. There's not a lot of like well maybe they did choose to get addicted but they were victims of something younger when they were younger so it led them to addiction so you know like this this kind of a blend here. Uh, but that kind of nuance you know when you're doing snap judgments and you want to get clicks and all that that's just not amenable to how news and media is done today. And all the coverage I read about it, in 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 like the Seattle Times and so forth, would would always be about lack of housing and this and that. But then I talked to a lot of people that they were not interested in even getting housing, and so I thought there's a there's something here that's not adding up. Like there there are and if and if it's weather, which is what people always say about the reason why there's so many homeless people out there. Why are there near? Why are there not nearly as many homeless people in southern cities, as there are in Pacific Northwest? Like it doesn't snow in. Uh, in like Little Rock, doesn't snow in Houston, but it sure as heck snows in Seattle, or at least it gets cold and wet and miserable. So why would you stay there in the winter? Well, and Seattle has way more homeless people, and it's way and it's quite a bit smaller than Houston, and Houston has up, well, a lot fewer homeless people than Seattle. So it's like something here just doesn't isn't really adding up. Um, so I wanted to take a deeper dive, as you say. Then I came back here, and I just I had that idea in the back of my head, and. Time flies and a year goes by, and then suddenly I read in the Star Tribune about the tent city here in Minneapolis, and I just knew—I just like that's it. So the next day, I called up a buddy, probably the day before, and I said, "Hey, uh, Nathan, can you come with? I want to go down to that tent city and interview some people." And I didn't know if it was going to be dangerous or anything. I had—I had no idea. So I show up, and it's anything but dangerous. It's totally cool. Like it looked like. Okay. It looked like a campsite at first because there was about 15 tents when I got there and they were out there cooking on a grill and it was very casual. It seemed quite relaxing, actually. Uh, of course, that was just me showing up in the middle of the day. I wasn't having to deal with, you know, living in a tent at night and da da da, da. Um, But I interviewed a guy there who was Earl. Who, Earl. Earl, Earl is the, uh, the the first and the last guy I interviewed in the movie, the main uh, person in the film. Um, I'm always unsure what to call him character I certainly can't call him Star That's that seems uh, <laughs> Stand-off-ish, uh, wrong yeah. yeah so but he's the person featured most in the film I go back to him repeatedly throughout the fall I uh, was fortunate to meet him right away he was willing to talk I would make an interview with him on YouTube and just have a a, a video just of him and then I would like I say go back to him and his wife Kat uh, throughout the fall and I must have interviewed them either together or separate 10-12 times and throughout the film is their progress there or lack thereof. There's a lot of spinning wheels, you know, are going to get around, you know, because, you know, they struggle with addiction and they have uh, children that they're not able to care for. So there's that factor. And meanwhile, the tent city is continuing to grow and grow and grow. So I described it as I did when I first arrived and it was sunny and they were grilling and, you know, it was, it was quite casual and even comfortable for, you know, as far as a campsite can be comfortable um but then November it snows, and it's packed and it's it's the mood is depressing uh they had a remarkable spirit there though i mean they they were I almost wondered if they didn't embrace the challenge of of the elements. it felt like they almost did uh they would they would sit around a fire and they would talk and they would uh, just keep each other company throughout the day, and the way they saw they're kind of waiting it out they're kind of maybe taking a stand at least showing the the volume of people that are in need of help and that's also mm. what they saw their their presence as um,
0: and then back in so right in the fall, so in August, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of people there. Mm-hmm. Can you fill our listeners in on like why they picked this spot on Hiawatha with a wall? and how it became so popular and why it became overpopulated.
2: Yeah, I think, to the best of my knowledge, there are and have been for years, if not decades, little spots around the Twin Cities, that, around Minneapolis-St. Paul. I mean, this isn't a huge problem in Bloomington. Um, In the suburbs, you know, it's it's the two cities. Uh, There'll be a little park space here, a little boulevard there, a little lawn here there, you know, they'll just find, you know, wherever they can stay out of trouble, keep their stuff safe and commune without making too big of a scene. And it's a it's a game of whack-a-mole, you know, the the analogy of whack-a-mole where you hit the 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 problem here, but then it pops up over here. So, like the city has been doing that with homelessness for, you know, years if not decades. So, the city will clear out a tent camp, and then they'll migrate somewhere else. And go, you can't, you can't do that, you know, because it's technically it's, it's it's illegal. You can't just camp on city land like that. You can camp in a park if you pay, uh, but you can't just camp. You couldn't just camp around Lake of the Isles if you wanted. That's not legal. Um, so the city would come in and clear it out, but for some reason. And I suppose it was just an inevitable thing because it had been long past the time they'd done it out west in the western cities, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, L.A., San Francisco. The city said, okay, go ahead. When they camped along this sound barrier wall along Hiawatha, Highway 55, Highway 55, just leaving south, southeast from downtown, you can see the, the new Viking Stadium, And it goes down to the airport, down to Mall of America. It's it's that stretch of freeway. They were on the west side of that, just south of downtown.
0: About 100 yards away from a park.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right next to a park. Um, I think there's a community center nearby. There was housing projects nearby. uh, And then some businesses along Franklin there. And I don't know if it was... I don't know what came first, chicken or egg. If it was the media attention, and then the city felt compelled to not go hard on it, because then that would have really gotten on the front page. You know, the last thing the city wanted, I'm sure at the time, was attention toward their policing. At a time where you know, even today, you know, police are on. You know, the last thing you want to be is on the news for doing something wrong as a police officer. Mm-hmm. So they did not. I assume that from a PR perspective, and from a and from their ideological perspective, they want to be. Caring, uh, a, a caring city. They don't want to be seen as a hard city. So, when you had these uh, these tents come up, and when the media went out there, the city, right around that same time again, I don't know if it was chicken or egg, but the city gave it its blessing to stay. And then the, ultimately, the state, because it was state land. It was it was DM mm. um, not DMV, um, <laughs> uh MNDOT. It was MNDOT property. Technically, uh, they own that stretch along the uh, along that freeway. And then MnDOT said, fine, we won't do anything either. And then the mayor gave an impassioned talk about how this was their land. Uh, he gave that kind of tone and how we're going to get everyone here housing. And that's what did it. Then it went from dozens of tents to what would become hundreds. Yep, and, then, um,
0: and that this was in August, and they announced that they were going to get housing in September, and as the documentary progresses, that housing gets pushed back all yeah. the way to December, so yeah. they experienced the warmth of the summer days when yeah. there was not a lot of people, mm-hmm. to more and more people coming, and the weather getting worse and worse, yep. and, and degree temperature getting colder. Yep. So now you have an overpopulated area that they shouldn't be there, but it's just being allowed, and with the hope of them having housing. And mm-hmm. it was and I let into this when you walked in the room I was like the, the documentary I watched was exhausting in the sense of these these people that came had high spirits they were ready to change their lives they had addiction issues of mm-hmm. meth mm-hmm. and uh, they had some shitty situations with the previous uh, maybe parents or living situation and there was hope there was a lot of uh, chance for change and you kept on interviewing Earl and Kat and I was watching it and I'm just like almost in tears just like these people are one, damaging themselves mm-hmm. without taking action. They they were saying these things they're gonna take some action and they mm-hmm. wouldn't follow through. Mm-hmm. And also you're watching just kind of like the community trying to support them, trying to give everything they could and just like self inflicting wounds, but also cultural wounds and all these different variations in between. And I'm just like, oh my God, I am exhausted from um, the, situation. the situation of being having the hope for him and then mm-hmm. just being it kind of ripped
2: away. Yeah, just watching it yeah. is, uh, is exhausting. And mm-hmm. it's exhausting considering all the... You almost get paralyzed when considering, what can I do? That's the first thing people ask, right? What can I do? Um, or at least the first question a lot of people ask. And it's a frustrating question to try to answer because uh, everything's been... Not everything. A lot of things have been done and done repeatedly. You can give another five dollars, you can give another tent. Um but these are deep seated uh multimodal many causes to these uh to these situations. Right. So there is a lot they can point to how they were victimized, and there's a lot you can point to how they keep making the same bad decisions. And when you have that combination... So, if nothing else, the film reveals the situation as is.
1: Yeah, you do a great job of that.
2: Even, yeah. It, I wanted to remove myself from this film. Like, if, if I do a documentary on the homeless crisis, which I'm actually going to do next... Uh, because like I, global, like, I started I started doing it and then this tent city was going to be just a part of that and then I realized, no, this is its own movie uh, and it's just, just practically speaking it's a lot more manageable to do a film on this specific story and the people there than trying to do something about homelessness in America, which is a Ken Burns documentary, I mean it's huge you could yeah. have that be as big as you wanted so I bit off more than I could chew, but I did go down to Houston and Dallas. I did go out to the Pacific Northwest. I did research the the causes of homelessness, uh, at least homelessness that we know today, because we kind of know that like, this didn't always exist. Like, didn't homelessness used to be hobos on railroad tracks? Like, what happened? So then something did happen, and it's it's fascinating. But it's a more of an educational, analytical and it'll put my own spin on it just a little bit because i have to interpret the history and present it but this movie the wall i just let them talk right and so people were actually mad at me in the premiere because i didn't why don't you talk more about this or that and it's like they didn't i just interviewed the the residents there and they talked about their lives uh their frustrations uh, and then I shared the story from the news clips, right? I'll let that do the talking of the
1: the su- narrative, yeah,
2: of the actual Tent City. Mm-hmm. But the lives within uh, were were what I most wanted to to uh, to share. I, I told them I want to share their voice. They 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 had a subtitle for, um, or or a longer title for their community. It was called the Wall of Forgotten Natives, and so to help them. Know where I was coming from because I'm just an outsider, a white guy. To help them, I think feel a little more comfortable with what I was doing. I said, I, you know, you, you, this is you call your community the Wall of Forgotten Natives. I just want to do what I can to help you, help your your voice be heard, help your story be heard, so you're no longer forgotten. And that's ultimately, I think, what the what the movie does. In addition to presenting the issue of homelessness in this particular camp, which is sort of a microcosm for camps in other cities. Um, it's very raw, too, man. Like, the yeah one part that just freaking stuck
1: with me already was the uh, younger kid, I think his name's Jake, towards the beginning of the movie. Um, he's got, like, the longer hair. He kind of tells a story about leaving home and everything like that. And um, he was actually complimenting the tent space, um, saying how great it was to... Like how the people around them Actually kind of feel community Like when you go mm-hmm. through some of these uh, Living homes you're kind of just thrown to the side And it's <laughs> you smell each other's Farts you do this you do that It just kind of sucks uh, But here it, it felt different it was more personalized And everybody actually kind of got along For the most part at that time And one of the guys interjects Is like yeah we do drugs together And you're like y- you guys do drugs together Like what kind of drugs And you're like they're like, oh yeah, we 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 shoot up meth together and like, this stuff. And I was just like, dude, like that is just yeah. I mean, if crazy. It, if, if it was it, r- it was just raw. It's exactly it was capturing those moments that nobody else sees.
2: Yeah, if if you're not familiar with, other than from TV and dramatizations on Law and Order or some I don't know. Maybe I'm dating myself. Is Law and Order even on anymore? Oh, it but, is. I but think. uh SVU. Yeah, yeah. some yeah. some alphabet Law and Order out there. Uh, or some CSI thing yeah. I don't know uh, but you know you get these stere- stereotyped depictions of inner city and you know like there's there's movies that, that show like Wind River was a show about uh, movie about the, the, Jeremy the, Runner the, the the Wind River uh, reservation in Wyoming uh, you see these depictions but to see them in reality is is it can be shocking and yeah she I was surprised how it was actually I know who you're talking about Sorry, it may have been a she. I um, t- it, it was she. Sorry. She had a, a a shorter haircut. Um, uh, yeah, she just was freely freely admitted that. I was like, "Did you shoot up today?" And she's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "You don't act like it," because she said she shot up meth, and so I'd expect her to be fidgety or wired in some way. But she, she's like, "Well, yeah, I'm coming down now." I'm like, "Oh, does that feel lousy?" Nah, I smoke some weed, you know, just. Yeah, that's that's and and you know she got there because it, she had a bad domestic situation with her mother and her mother had to call the cops. I think that's the line from their movie ver, verbatim. Yeah, of uh, a restraining order on her do- on her own daughter. Uh, what you really see are, are how um, decimated some of these communities are. I've I've covered the inner city too with with articles, one for the Star Tribune and one for my own blog, featuring every homicide death in minneapolis in 2016 and i interviewed or i re, i didn't interview every family, but i but i researched every death and all but like there was around three dozen and all but like four were inner city black homicide and then i would interview a few of those families and i would go to some of the vigils and you realize how common it is in these families to have a shot relative like they all have oh yeah my cousin got shot here my uncle got shot in chicago you know, it's, it's, it's not rare. And that, you know, the people who live in safer neighborhoods, if, if you have one family member that gets shot, it's like the one secret in the family that no one talks about or something, right? It's a right. huge deal, but they have it multiple times. And it's the same way with the Native American community, but probably with either not having their kids able to be living with them or people in their lives that they know that have overdosed. It's just... It's part of life. It's regular. There were four. There were four deaths in the camp while I filmed. Um, actually, you don't know this yet, but two of the pe- one of the people that you've seen is going to die uh, at the, by the end of the movie. He he he. Two three of the people I interviewed are, are they died at the end of the movie. So they're in the film, and then you learn at the end that they're dead.
0: Yeah, the one that really stuck with me was the guy that had the hopes and dreams to start a boxing clinic yeah. and yeah. passed away due to. The city creating these um, this homes for them to live after the the weather came mm-hmm. in and they cleared out the the wall. Mm-hmm. They created these little homes, and, or not homes. It was just basically a giant tent where mm-hmm. they could have a bed. Mm-hmm. And the whole documentary depicts how that's the last place that those people wanted to go to was an an abandoned warehouse type living situation where they're all crowded into one because that just turns into fighting and stealing versus having their own tent. They loved far more mm-hmm. in the frigid cold mm-hmm. because it was their space. Mm-hmm. They had enclosed quarters mm-hmm. versus having a shower, food and warmth in a, yeah. in a shelter. Mm-hmm. That was, they did not want to go there and that mm-hmm. was shocking me. Yeah. Um, and this this guy uh, goes there and and eventually ODs because the community just got overridden with drugs and yeah I mean the solutions weren't there and people just kept on finding themselves in the same rabbit holes yeah and again it's, that's what,
2: it's 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 the way the movie ends yeah. it's it's bleak mm-hmm. it is bleak um, I also had people mad at me for the film too because I think they thought it depicted the help as not being. All that helpful yeah um so i'm i'm pretty i was well one i was shocked when i went to the homeless i'm sorry the shelters that they built for these residents of the tent city they built three as you described they're kind of like army barracks they're quite cozy inside i mean i think it was i don't know if it was carpeted but it was it was a um they were partitioned and and inside was quite it wasn't like a cold army barrack it was more like an off uh, like an off I don't know how to describe it. It was it, it was just it was quite cozy. I mean, just put it that way. Anyway, I would talk to Earl and Cat while they were in there and and they everyone everyone did drugs openly. And Mayer said that there would be no drug use on site. That's in the film and then it turned out they let them use drugs openly. And um me sharing that fact I think made people mad. Um but I was blown away when I visited the, the shelters because outside the shelters, people were openly using and dealing drugs. Like I saw people with meth and crack, like uh, handing it off to each other and people shooting up, and it was all right there out in the open. Like yeah. it was the exact opposite of the kind of situation the the people at the tent city needed. It was the opposite. Like you couldn't have put them in a more dangerous, lethal. Okay, you probably could if you got inventive, but let's be real. like That was an awful situation, and I don't want to criticize the people who reached out to help, who helped raise money for that. Red Lake donated the land and the money, and, and that's all wonderful. What it speaks to, I don't mean to criticize, and I don't want to come across as critical of the efforts. But we do need other kinds of solutions. Right We do need other kinds of solutions, and their repeated enabling is killing people, right So it's harder to see that because you think you're being good and you think you're doing the right thing by providing and uh, relenting to the desires, to the uh, even like like yeah, I guess just the desires of an addict. Yeah. But you're not. You're 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 letting them kill themselves, and that's what that's what happened. And then the police apparently didn't do much because there was, like I said, open drug use. It was basically a a little drug market right out in front of this shelter. So they'd come and go. And then the the worst was watching. I interviewed the 17 year old who I didn't put in the movie because he was only 17, and he he seemed real clear headed, pretty fre- fresh faced. He was 17. And it was fall, so I'm like, how come you're not in school? He's like, well, I'm going to get back to high school here. I don't live with my parents anymore. Blah, blah, blah I was in foster care. Okay, so I interview him just the one time, and I wish him well. And I see him later at the shelter in the wintertime. And he's at the shelter, and he's completely out of his mind. I mean, he's gone. He's, he's all drugged up. And, I mean, who knows when he started using drugs. It could have been months before that at the tent city. But... Good luck good luck getting sober in that in that place. In that yeah. in that shelter where everyone around you is using, and even if you're not. <laughs> yeah, good luck resisting when everyone you know is. So it, it became a very toxic place. I mean that's just object that's just that's just an objective truth. Whether you 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 did the I, I'm not saying you didn't do the best you could, I'm not saying you didn't try to, to help. I'm not saying your heart wasn't in the right place. But the results were, were, were bad. They were very, very bad. And so there's a place for policing. There's a place for law enforcement. That I think the city now knows. It seems because this year they're not allowing another tent city. They've mm-hmm. they've cracked down to the anger of a lot of people, by the way. So I kind of give the mayor credit because you you can't let an area like that grow when it's going to become dangerous. Yeah, and it's going to become a place where people deal drugs and deal people. Right? There was prostitution going on at at this place. Right? And there were kids living there. I mean, it was it was it was unacceptable. Damn. And um uh yeah they're just I, there's a point where you have to step in and yeah. and 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 so the city isn't going to let another it didn't let one happen this summer, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. The problem hasn't gone away though. And that's the that's the bottom line. There's a bunch of people out there that are having trouble getting on their feet, getting clean, uh feeling like they're worth a damn, feeling like they can contribute to the world. And that's ultimately the biggest that's that's the that's the 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 root of this problem people who have very little um self worth sure and, Agreed. and 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 so to 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 and and you know there's no quick answer to that there's there's no quick answer to that
0: and I think that goes back to your point of saying how the city gave them shelter and food and warmth. Um, the basic hierarchy of needs. You think if that if that's given to these uh, these homeless people, these Native Americans, that uh, it, everything will be solved and the drug problem will go away? They will right. only get sober. But really, they have no self. They don't believe in themselves that's... for the most part. And um, I mean, I've watched one documentary. and I don't want to be like coming out here with these g- general terms, but from my perspective of watching it, it, it was it was saddening to the point where they don't believe in themselves that they can mm-hmm. go get a job and maintain a steady life while they're like making payments because they're afraid that since they've been crime-ridden that no one's going to accept them. And Mm -hmm. if they're inside a community, everyone's going to look at them sideways and Mm -hmm. be like, why are you here? They already have those preconceived notions across the board, and they're like, I'd rather be hidden from that and continue to punish myself.
2: That's why I think homelessness is growing across the country, regardless of what community you're from. You go out to the West Coast, you see plenty of white homeless people, black homeless people, Latinos, whatever. Um, there's a growing number of people in the country here who just—they're just checking out, and by that I mean like we're checking out of our hotel room. They're checking out of society. They're just like, "Peace, I'm checking out, and and uh, I'm just gonna go hang out in this park all day." All right, peace. And uh, and and a growing number of people are doing that. And and this is systemic. And by that, I don't. I mean, it, I mean that two ways. One, it's happening on a system level, like just across the America society, and two, it's systemic in that it's a it is a systemic problem. Like it's a problem with the American economy, and the the uh, more people being left behind. And this is where I really side with people who, I guess you would say, lean left, more liberal. Like it is harder for people, especially if I mean, if you imagine being, you know, you think of the practicality of being homeless and then having to try to get a job and put together a first and last month's rent and a deposit or whatever the the requirements are and then doing all that while living on the street I mean it's 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 almost preposterous to think that someone could go from the streets to an apartment when the rents are just rising up faster and faster and faster and all that so I um I've actually i'm'm I'm, I'm in the middle no surprise there when it comes to the ideological if you look at it as a continuum from you know very conservative to very liberal. I'm kind of in the middle. I've, I've seen solutions in other cities work where uh, they're, they're, they're provided housing free. And that can go bad. Like in Minneapolis I know of one building where they're provided free housing and all it is is a place where everyone drinks and does drugs and no one does anything. And it's, it's actually quite terrible. Um, and someone I know lives there. Uh, I've interviewed people that live there and it's not a good situation. On the other hand, if you pair that with services that encourage them to uh, flourish, build their lives back up, yeah. build their esteem back up, then providing just the basics is a great foundation, right? Then providing a place to sleep, the the foundation of uh, oh, I got a place I can put my stuff. I don't have to worry about it getting taken. Um, Secure. I'm going to be warm yeah. or cool, depending on the climate. I'm going to get fed. You know, I'm going to be able to take care of this. I don't have to worry about these, these, these immediate things right now. And I can, now I can go to counseling. Now I can go to, you know, but if they don't jump off and try to improve themselves from that foundation, then they're just going to sit there and wallow in addiction in a county funded housing project.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had a question about that. So you mentioned earlier how the, um, like the police and, um, kind of the people watching over the tent city or the warehouse, um, we're kind of drawing a blind eye, maybe, to the drug use and everything. Did you ever interview any of the um, policemen or the people that were around the area?
2: I tried. Um, there's a couple of occasions where the police are on the video. The police were in a tough spot. I Like, I don't I, – I, I, I try to – I have my stances on things and, and my beliefs about what would be the best way to proceed, like anyone else does. Yeah. But I never try to come down and be – like, come down on people. Like, I, I appreciate the, the circumstance all the people who were involved that were in. Uh, we are too quick in this country to, to point the finger and blame. We'd rather blame someone for something than try to actually fix a situation ourselves. And that's backwards. All right. That's childish. So, if I think that they should have done more policing around the homeless shelter that they built for the residents of the homeless camp, okay, I do believe that. Yeah. But they were in a really tough spot. Um, it's like you—you either gonna crack down on the homeless problem, or are you gonna protect? Are you gonna serve? Like it's like protect and serve. So are they gonna protect society from a growing homeless camp and and the violence and 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 maybe the the flourishing drug market there, or are you gonna be more along the lines of serving and helping and being mm-hmm. seen as a friend? Well, they really wanted to try that latter approach. So yeah. the police would actually go out there, and they have a they have a hired liaison that. Works with the homeless community, and I got to know him. I saw him out there repeatedly. He's actually at the very beginning of my movie. He's the guy that gives Earl the blueberries because mm-hmm. he kept just get, you know he he would go out there with donations and he tried to make friends with them and and that's and that's great. Later though, there was a bad relationship between the police and the people at the tent city, and they would fight and argue. And then the police wouldn't really go there much at all, so the police took a very hands-off approach, and that got the people at the tent city even that they made a lot of them upset because they wanted the police there to help keep the place safe uh, and they thought the police weren't there enough so um it's it's hard it's it's hard to find that 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 that, that line um <clears throat> i don't i mean it, it, it it's not what i'm paid to do it's what they're paid to do uh, yeah. but i can just imagine that would that would be a very very tough thing to do
1: i'll tell you what though man like just listening to this whole thing with your story and everything that you've Put together and it and like you said at the very beginning like the last thing you wanted to do was for it to be about you and i think what we should highlight is you like you've already talked about all the different travels that you've had all the different perspectives the the things that you've been willing to do to unpack or uncover rather a different perspective for guys like andrew and i who live five minutes down the road having absolutely no idea what's going on so i just think it's very impressive and honestly amazing the work that you've done regardless of what people think about it, right? The fact that they have thoughts is actually what you probably, what is actually beneficial about the whole thing. Here, the fact here. that we can at yeah. least look into this lens thats true and see what this was yeah and then evaluate it was something that we never had before. I yeah. just want to say, thank you, man. That's super, super cool. That's a mm-hmm. good point. Yeah. Getting, but
2: I would say, oh, sorry. Getting criticism actually is better than nothing. Nothing. You're right. You're exactly. You're absolutely right. It got people thinking, got people reacting. The, uh, the premieres got, a good amount of attention. It was just the right time. The story was still fresh. They hadn't left the shelter yet uh, that they had built for them. It was still in the spring and a couple of news pieces picked it up. and um, Yeah, so it was going to be under scrutiny. Yeah. And so you can expect uh, some pushback too. Mm-hmm,
0: for sure. And to continue on the train of you and focusing on your story, mm-hmm. we love to ask some back pocket core questions. And our first one's an average quality question. Mm-hmm. And this is something you do well at times and other times not so well. At the end of the day, it's your average quality. Mm-hmm. So Brandon, what is your average quality?
2: Yeah, I thought about this a while and I kept thinking of like, well, I do that really bad and I do that good. Um We hope you think that way. So, like to think in the middle, like an average thing. I'm gonna say time management. Even though to be honest, I'm just I'm 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 probably mediocre at best at that. But yeah, sometimes you nail it. Like you were on time today, and we weren't on time. We were
0: we ran over with our previous guests. All right. Uh, So I'll
2: I'll go with that. uh,
0: Competitively,
2: we were average. (laughs) (laughs) But when it comes to like pacing myself or something, I really have a tough time with that. To sit back, engage. Okay, I want this to be ready. Like I, I made the premiere date May nineteenth, and I set that up in like March, <laughs> and I just am like, well, I better have the movie done by May nineteenth, and so ready or not, here it comes, and it forced me to get it done. I mean, I. It wasn't the most responsible because it wasn't honestly, it, it wasn't the best product. I would end up doing some revision work with audio and and a couple of scene, just little tweaks here and there for later screenings. And that's that's you know that's fine. I mean, the movie was pretty much done, and people got the idea of the story and everything. So it was it was still a good product. But, um, yeah, putting that date out there like that, and uh, most filmmakers would have. This is my first film, so I don't know what I was doing. But I've learned now that most filmmakers would have like set a year out or something like that oh yeah. so you're talking like spring 2020 it's like no 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 spring 2019 it is spring 2019 yeah but later in the spring 2019 i'll have it done and you know i was thinking more of a youtuber like oh it's just a long youtube video no yeah, it's run a, a, gun. It's a movie dude i mean like I, I i didn't appreciate all the work that went into it and so you know it was a lot of late nights and just a lot of weekends and sure. and all that stuff yeah well, that's so. pretty amazing man i and so i assume you're gonna be creating more movies now well, I'm actually still tweaking this one because um, subtitles are a son of a bitch, as I've as I've learned all that typing and the and, and the formatting to be just so. I didn't know all the unwritten or maybe even written rules when it comes to subtitles, and I'm still learning them. Uh, so I have to finish that. I got a screening on the twenty fourth next Tuesday, uh, in Lacrosse at Verturbo University. Shout out if anyone is in that area, and uh, it's a free screening of the film at their uh fine arts theater yeah cool. right, right in lacrosse wisconsin
1: are you going to be putting it on youtube at any point you think
2: i will okay. uh but first i'm going because if you put it out there on youtube it renders your uh movie ineligible for film fests oh from what i understand i'm still learning this too but okay. i'm 99 percent sure that if you put it on youtube you're not going to be able to be in some of the film fests and I'm still brand new to this process, so I'm playing it safe, and I'm not putting it out on YouTube yet. I'm, and plus, I still love the screening format. I had one like three weeks ago or four weeks ago in uh, in Edina at this uh, arts uh, performance art studio, I like to call it, called Here and There Live. You guys actually should check it out. It's a really cool space to record audio. Uh, there's like live performances there, and it's in the Southdale Mall. Okay. So it's a, it's an interesting location, and they have a really affordable membership rates for artists of all kinds to join. And so I've done some voiceover recording there. I just go there and work sometimes. And anyway, I had a screening there, and we held a hundred comfortably, and we got it to about seventy people to show it. Nice. I, I love the 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 screening format. If I put it on on YouTube, it's just out there, and there's yeah. no like ceremony, there's no event, and I and I like to. I like to have the events plus hey. the movie's not 100% done so yeah. you need to watch the audience a little bit see their reactions they get to ask questions mm-hmm. and in fact at this last one I had James Cross come with me and he was the he was the guy in the film who was uh, shown a couple of times interviewed who who was volunteering at the Camp Daily slick back hair the long y- hair yep yeah. h- helping to uh, work with uh, he's the founder and leader of Natives Against Heroin who as an insider as a Native American himself goes in there and tries to you know not just keep the piece and help uh, administer first aid when someone overdoses or someone gets injured. Um, distributes all the donations that were coming in. They did all that there, but then they're there to say, "Hey, you can put down that needle. You can do better." Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, and only someone in that community can say it like that. Right. You know, and th- that that's power. And so, I I really like the work that he and his his group are doing. And so, when it comes to solutions to the problem specific to the movie. I think it's, um, I think it's actually groups like that. Uh, I think awesome. you're onto something. Yeah, it's especially a, it's inside a, the community. It's a slow burn. It's a long, slow. I think solution, but I don't think there's any quick one. Mm-hmm. And empowerment, I think, is the key word. Mm. And 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 I think groups like that can help their community pick themselves up and feel a little bit better about themselves, and you know, uh, practice their culture and um, be proud of who they are right yeah. Th- those guys voices, and and women uh those 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 leaders voices i think are are crucial I think they're the most important work being done mm-hmm. honestly
0: so your average quality was time management
2: time management yeah yep
0: and then our next question is what's in your back pocket so when pressure's becoming and stress and anxiety's rising what do you have in your back pocket to overcome these situations
2: I had a couple of high stress situations at the camp and where people threatened me and I just kind of, I, I i tend to go into um I think this could be good or bad, but it's been good. Uh, I kind of go into this um, mode. I assume this persona, this kind of stiff defensive mode where I, I stay resilient and maybe it would be deemed foolish if ever the results were negative, like I get punched or something. But so far, it's been like good to hold ground and and not just cower. And it doesn't mean I don't listen. I do, actually, as was the case in one example of the camp where people surrounded me and demanded I delete what I just had recorded. And I didn't want to because it was a real raw look of what – a fight broke out right in front of me, and a guy had a big knife. And he happened to be the guy I was interviewing – Gets up and chases after a guy who has a big old, big old knife. I mean, it must have been a foot long blade, and I get all of it on camera, and I get surrounded. Soon after it died down, nothing happened. They just kind of went around a tent like this, yeah. and nothing happened from it. I think it was just show. I don't know, but they—they're like, you're not. They—they they worried I was going to turn around and throw it on YouTube, and then the police would be down there and they'd shut the camp down and you know they didn't want that so yeah. they they're like we got to protect their community delete that and they were trying to they reached in my pocket try to grab my phone and everything and um, I eventually deleted it uh, but uh, um, and then going back the next day I remember one of the people who surrounded me were like dude you got balls and like that's a good th-. I, he was being a jerk at the time I thought he was he was being at least attacking me but um, that was good I I I I think I gained a little bit of respect there, and that's kind of you have to hold your ground a little bit there, so you don't you got to make the film, you know.
0: Too. Yeah, and you got to have the respect of
2: the people around you. Mm-hmm. How many times did you real quick? How many times you go to the camp throughout the whole film? Probably twenty times. Wow, sweet. Yeah, I actually work for a company near there. I do some marketing work for them. Okay, and uh, you know, so I got kind of a day job too. There you uh, go. Uh, as yeah, do as yeah, do we. Man, office job. But that
1: is so cool that you are. I mean, your side hustle is filming this documentary, uh, going to, um, the 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 wall at night or during the day, however you want to say, and then mm-hmm. balancing your day job—all all an absolute challenge. And you know, speaking of the challenge aspect, especially with us, the back pocket, we grow our podcast network and we grow guest to guest through um, the challenges of our of our podcast guests, such as yourself. So, do you have anybody that you would? Uh, like to see on the podcast that's in your network
2: tell me a little bit about what kind of guests you have on
1: so that's a tough question for back pocket because we have pretty much anybody on but a lot of it is um associated with um creatives entrepreneurs athletes people that in general are you know finding something that they love to do or are having success and happiness doing what they love to do i would say those kind of people that's cool if that's uh specific enough yeah,
2: it is. I, I feel terrible drawing a blank because I know I know people. Uh, well, you could have James Cross on. I bet he'd come on. He's the guy in my movie who, who runs Natives Against Heroin. Yeah. Um, and okay, this story, this thing about him right here might want you to have him on. This one fact right here. This guy goes to reservations in, uh, I know he's done this throughout Wisconsin. I think he does it in Minnesota too, but regardless. He'll go on reservations where life is rough, right or where, where there's a lot of uh, drug use and people are dealing and this and that and he'll go up with his phone recording live and he'll knock on the door of the drug house and say, "Go, get out of here like you, we don't want you here." and he'll go right up to the to the door of these uh, of these of these places selling drugs, these drug houses wow. and he'll tell them to leave and then they'll sit outside the house and say, "Hey, we don't want you in our neighborhood." You're destroying our communities um like when I heard he did that I was just like wow you guys are like right you guys are on the battlefront like you, this is this is amazing like I don't know of any other group doing anything like that mm. um James cross James cross awesome. against her. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweet. and then the other to to get to the African- American community too which I've also done work with is uh VJ Smith Okay. So VJ Smith is is much he's he's better known than James Cross because Natives Against Heroin isn't hasn't been around that that long, but J, uh, VJ Smith he's been on the news a lot of times, probably national broadcast, not just local. He's gotten awards from mayors. Uh, he's worked with the Minneapolis police a lot. He's the president of Mad Dads, which is kind of the equivalent of Natives Against Heroin for the African American community. But they're more about patrolling the inner city, making sure that the people, like, they'll they'll encounter a group of kids on the corner, teenagers, and be like, hey, guys, what are you up to tonight, you know? And these are a bunch of OGs, and they all dress in green, and they drive a big green van around. And so they're known, and I think they got the respect of everywhere they go. Um, and uh, they just, they, they, they try to get their their youth to get back on the right track if they're off track a little bit. Ooh. And and these are guys who've all been there, done that, and they're there to tell the young kids, hey, there's a better way. Uh, don't, don't make the same mistakes I did. And there's a lot of tough love. And there's a lot of coaching, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of empowerment. I actually sat in on one of their sessions a couple of winters ago where there were like six or seven teenagers who had all gotten in trouble. They were all in the juvenile system. Uh, and these handful of these guys we'll call them mad dads you know these mentors they checked in with all these boys young men and some of them were struggling some of them needed some encouragement some of them needed a, a talking to and these guys were there to do that uh you know these boys may not have had that in their lives thus far mm-hmm. had a, had a, uh, an older guy who cared a big brother or father figure I don't know but they had they had more than one in that very room and to watch these you know uh young men that might be more brash and braggadocious and cocky uh as as so many young men are but in that room they were humbled they were yes sir yeah Yeah. you know and and it's like wow i'm watching growth right before my eyes like this (laughs) is great like it's kind of the it's there it's, it's 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 a similar empowerment um approach i think to how these these the the struggles in these communities can be alleviated one life at a time so vj smith mad dads um
1: sounds like an awesome yeah to get on that, both those guys that would
2: yeah. be that would be too i actually going on that vein of thought i have more but we'll okay. start with those two Perfect. Right. Right. challenge Sweet. accepted appreciate it yeah
0: and, but this brings us to our final question sure uh you guys good awesome last question is what did you learn today a simple question from the moment you woke up to when we're having this conversation?
2: Okay, well, one thing I learned I moved out near Lake Minnetonka, and my buddy Nathan came out to see me today. Uh, he's in the city. My life is in Minneapolis, so I live a half hour west now, but I like quiet, I like nature. And I went to the Carver County Park Reserve, and there's an archery, like, uh, uh, what? Station? Yeah, shoot well around? well like there's like targets everywhere. There's like yeah. this um uh what would that be called? Tart tar- tar- like, 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 yeah, like range. these yeah, it's an archery thank you. Archery range, and these archery, archery range. drills. You can go up these steps and do and you can shoot these like animal targets, you know? Yeah. But the coolest thing is I we're just walking on one of these paths and we encounter this this river that actually is a culvert underneath the road, and on the one side it kind of widens out. And then it narrows into this like swampy area before it goes into a bigger lake. But where the river, where the creek kind of gets wide, about the size of maybe two or three of these rooms, we saw like, you know, a whole bunch of, it was shallow. So we saw like a whole bunch of carp that were like this long and this fat, just these huge meaty suckers. And then there was a ton of sunfish, there was largemouth bass, there was northern pike, and of course, tons of minnows too. And they were all in this like shallow pool. Of 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 running water. Yo. And I just saw this like three or four hours ago before coming here. I was like, dude, where where am I? Like this is like a little slice of Garden of Eden here. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Why isn't anyone fishing? <laughs> well, I did see like a couple of lures and some old fishing lines, so mm-hmm. people have tried it. I mean I can't imagine you could catch all kinds of things in that little Yeah. In that little in that it's little like spot. reservoir. So there's that. And then the other thing I learned pertinent to this podcast or related to this is um there are that this that this podcast is awesome, and that there are three awesome creators in here uh, doing work with 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 day jobs. You guys all have day jobs. Yeah, right?
0: yeah. Ty's in school, but we have day jobs.
2: All right. Um. So to see that, like that extra effort, that extra mile, that extra passion, like pour over into something outside of the nine to five or whatever it is that you do. I I, yeah. I just I just love seeing that, and I really appreciated uh, you guys as examples for me, and then your own reinforcement of. Uh, supporting the work that i do yeah because i don't i don't know a lot of creators you know and mm-hmm. so i don't know you don't always know what you're doing especially if you're going out on a limb and doing something on your own yeah you don't know if like what am i doing going with my i literally shot the movie with this by the way right oh so i'm going out that. i'm going out to the Tenth city and i'm and i'm using my phone and i'm like what what am i doing you know it's so easy to doubt yourself and stuff like that so i get encouragement from from uh from from you fellas means a lot. Thank you.
0: Hell yeah, dude! Love that, Brandon. Thank you for that. I had no idea you shot that on your phone. That's incredible. After I speaks, broke one, then I got your wherewithal. this one. Even more so, resourceful, that. very resourceful. Yeah.
2: Plus, I, I will say just a tip: if you want to interview people, and you want to keep it as low key as possible, you really can't beat the phone. Excellent. Well, even if you show it to them, you know, and that's ideal. Hidden camera stuff is dicey. Um, <laughs> It's just so much less intrusive than having some big old rig. camera. You know, yeah. yeah, some rig with a mic. Yeah. Just hey, how you doing? And you both forget about it in no time and you're just having a conversation. Just like this, yeah, man. Just like this. Just like this. I forgot all about this mic in front of my face. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cross hey. my eyes. But
1: hey, you were one hell of a podcast unpacking a story that I think everybody needs to hear. So thank you for everything you're doing. Thanks for a hell of a podcast, brother. You bet. That's a wrap. <laughs> Anything that she could ever want is right in front of her And she could never pay someone else to say What she's trying
0: to get across to you She's a star, gazing And you can see the look in her eye She's a dream, Jason She's made up her mind, made up her mind Just watch her
2: now There she goes And just a step away from everything she says I'm gonna have to try and catch her now before she's gone